Other than Samuel, I became a grandfather. <laughs> I do everything late. Somebody said I'm going to be late for my funeral. I don't mind. Maybe I'll get raptured. I don't know. <laughs> Anybody else want to share something? There's a grand, new grandmother there. Yeah. Lynn. I, I was radioactive this week. They put me through a PET scan. And uh, the only thing they said, I said, is there any do's and don'ts? She says, don't go near any pregnant ladies for 24 hours. So there, there was no mushroom cloud, so I was all right, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if the disease won't get you, all the tests will, I guess. <laughs> We're just going to start up with uh, the unshakable journey. We're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for your word. We just thank you, Lord, that uh, you were here with us. You want to guide us. You want to direct us. You have a plan for each one of our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for your uh, hand of blessing upon us. And we just thank you for everything you've done in our lives and for what you're going to do. And Father, we just ask you enable each one here today, anybody who has a concern, who's listening through the internet or watching live, that any concerns that they have or any burdens they have, that you will enable them, Lord, to release them in your hand. You say to cast all your care upon you because you care for us. So I just ask for that type of enablement, Lord, this morning for the people who are listening online and for those that are here today. And we just thank you that we can go to you. And Lord, you want us to be an anchor. You want to, Lord, we, you are the anchor in the storm. And we just thank you all for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're going to look at the, the unshakable journey as uh, Isaiah 28 here. I'm just going to read it in two versions. Uh, the New King James says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes in me, will not act hastily. That's New King James. The New Living Translation says this, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. If you just look at the world situation today, I mean, it doesn't take much. You just look what's happening in China with that coronavirus. Uh, it's starting to hit other countries in the world now. I remember the SARS outbreak that happened in Toronto there with a lot of things like that. Right now in Africa, millions of locusts hitting parts of Agana where they can devour, I mean, hectares and thousands of hectares of land in a very short period of time. They're being invaded right now. So these things are all predicted by Jesus, you know, in the last days, there'd be pestilence, wars, rumors of wars, and all. We've always had that, but it seems to be intensifying. And so, and God doesn't want you to be shaken when these things are shaking. He says everything will be shaken, and those things that can't be shaken will remain. And so those that things that won't be shaken are those who are anchored in Christ. And so we're just looking at the Christian life right now, just a, a brief recap, and it's a process. 
It's a process. It's not uh, microwave Christianity where you just pop a person in there, press a button, out pops a mature Christian. It doesn't happen that way. It's process. We would like to have that. You know, where you put it in a microwave bag, put us in, whoop, there we are. Instant Christian mature. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. And we hit things in the road. We get in ruts every once in a while. Have you ever been in a rut? Somebody told me a definition of a rut is a coffin with the ends kicked out. So we don't want to get stuck there. Sometimes when we get in difficult situations, we lose perspective. And uh, that's why uh, Tozer said, that, you know, just keep everything in it. Have one eye on eternity when you start losing your, you know, your perspective. See, God has you in a development program. I was just watching, I was clicked on YouTube the other day, and I saw all these bodybuilders. You know, they're taking, somebody eating six, seven meals a day, some of these people. Then I looked at the history of someone, I just clicked on a little clip there. It was about 15 of them. They were in the top 10 with bodybuilding for uh, over a period of years. And I looked at their lifespan. Most of them died in their 30s, and I think one reached the age of 47. All for what? I mean, so you have a good body. So, beep, you know, it's good. Yeah. I used to go to the gym and work out and stuff like that. I think that's all good, but they went to the extreme for something that perishes. It's incredible. All the, Six, seven meals a day, and you figure all the kids that are starving and stuff. It doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, God can keep uh, uh, our right perspective. See, sometimes you can remain in the faith for many years in a church. You can be in the church for years and never grow. Uh, I think I got a slide. Next slide. Uh, 1 Peter 2, no, back. It says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may what? Grow. Some people just don't grow. No, they just don't. They just, they're not in the Word. You've got to be in the Word to grow. And then again, I know some others, they know the Bible inside out. They can do the Greek and Hebrew, and there's no change in them. Nothing. Where the Word has not been allowed to penetrate the heart to bring about that inward transformation. And so we don't want that. We, we, we should be growing process. And this is what A.W. Tozer says. Next slide. It says, uh, keep one eye on eternity. When you're going through this process, sometimes you can lose your perspective and you get off because of the situation or circumstance that you are in. And so this is what he says here is the gaze of the soul. Just keeping that. Whenever you get in a difficult situation, remember, Put that glance back on Jesus. Focus on him. He's the rock. You know, this life is, uh, some people I've heard uh, preachers say, well, it's an, it's an easy road, and God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and all those things. But here's what Jesus said. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. Being in Christ. Uh, in the world you will have tribulation. Here's, here's, put, put this in the promise book. In the world, you have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Uh, you can't get through life without going through difficulty. I don't know of many families that haven't gone through difficult times. Every family has a story. And this word tribulation, I think I put it, no, I guess I didn't. The, the, word, the Greek word is philipsis. 
That's the Greek word. And basically, it means pressure. In the world, you will have pressure. Pressure cooker situations. You have all types of pressures. Some people have some health pressures, financial pressures, family pressures, just pressure at work, on the workplace. I just think of, um, we have some doctors here that some of the pressures that you guys go through, it's, it's amazing. I, I can never be a doctor. First of all, I'm not smart enough. But, uh, but the pressure that sometimes you go through, you see the decisions that have to be made split second, sometimes life and death situations. So it's pressure. You know, just it's pressure raising a family today. It's, a, it's pressure just uh, in all types of ways today in the workplace. And another type of pressure is persecution. Uh, that, that's coming here to North America, you know. It's already started. Uh, we don't see it full-blown like parts of the world. You get parts of Nigeria now where they're killing Christians, you know. Uh, there's being about eight people killed a day and Christians being killed a day for faith. Uh, 260 million Christians live under persecution right now. This is according to Open Doors, who monitor that. It means one in eight believers are going through persecution. That's a pressure. We have a different type of pressure here uh, in North America for the moment. Uh, I think it was Brother Young, who was head of, the, uh, of a part of the underground church of 25 million believers in China. They, they uh, imprisoned him many times. And one time in the prison, they locked him in the prison, and uh, they took hammers to his legs, and his feet broke the bones in his body. You can read the story about Brother Young. And then uh, God visited him in the middle of the night, totally healed him in the prison, and angels actually opened the door and he walked out. He, he, he preached at Pastor Carter's church a while ago. He was in Ottawa. And, uh, and I asked Pastor Carter, I said, what, what, how, how did, what was it like being around this man? And Pastor Carter probably has, he's one of the, I guess, uh, one of the most passionate men I know for God. And he says, my life is so shallow compared to him. Imagine that, just, uh, I see the power of God. And, he, and I think it's him who said, says, I, I feel sorry for you North Americans. He says, uh, uh, in China, we have the presence of God. Here you have all the wealth, but you have no presence of God. That's what he said. And so sometimes uh, uh, you know, pressure like that is good for us, no, for our spiritual life. Because the only thing that really lasts is your soul. Physical body goes. And uh, I remember in Russia, I, I had the opportunity to go to Russia in, uh, in 1992, this is after the wall fell. And even though they tried to suppress, the Soviet Union tried to suppress the gospel going in, people were imprisoned you know, for uh, distributing Bibles, and some were, many were killed for it. They just suppressed it entirely. But you, know, you can't suppress God. And so I met this gentleman here. That's a Major General uh, Nikolai Stalyarov. I met him. He was the vice chairman of the KGB appointed by Yeltsin, a believer. Matter of fact, they used his uniform 
uh, and they took a picture of his uniform and they printed using the, the Soviet press, I think it was two to three million Bibles, and the, the cover of it was a military cover. It was a photo of his, his uh, uniform. See, nothing's impossible with God. He can go through doors and barriers that people try to erect. He can go right through it. And so, but in our country here, there's, there's hindrances to our growth. And uh, just as one of the ones was mentioned is idolatry. It says, therefore, my brother, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's other fleas. It says, flee fornication. It says, uh, flee youthful lusts. So there's uh, several fleas there. They're not the ones that bite. These bite spiritually. You know, and you need some, uh, need some spiritual spray to put on you to keep these fleas away. You know? So it's flea idolatry. Uh, basically, it's anything you place ahead of God. What you place ahead of God. You know, uh, whatever we depend upon most for happiness and help. You know? And of course, self is the biggest idol. This one here. That's me. That's, uh, uh, that's our, our biggest obstacle we have to face here. And so self manifests itself in many ways. Some people, they try, you know, self-seeking, self-admiration, self-dependence. And uh, there's even some in the church, uh, they try to seek their own praise in what they do for God. Well, look what I've done. I've helped this person. I've helped this group here. I've done this. I've done that. And it's, uh, see, what they're doing, they're, they're, they're looking for a type of confirmation or admiration, or applause from other people. That's a type of self-idolatry, in a sense. Now, it's a very dangerous place to be. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, I'm just reading this, you know, part of through the readings. Uh, it says, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira with his wife, they sold a possession. What were they doing? The people were selling their property to give to the church. And so, in verse 2, it says, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. See, what they did, they, they left the impression that they were really giving a lot to God. You know, uh, that's what happened here. And of course, if you read the rest of the story, they died, both of them, right in church. Imagine that. You're, you're having a church service, and boy, and you're taking up the offering, and two people die. Boy, what happened here? You know? But that's what happened. That's in the New Testament. See, they were pretenders. They were trying to make an impression that they were very spiritual. Dangerous thing to do. I've seen it happen where people are they're looking to be looked upon as somebody spiritual. And what happens is it's not a physical death, but it's a spiritual death occurs in them. Because you know, God sees everything. He sees how many know he sees everything? In Psalm 139, it says, he knows when you sit down, he knows when you stand up. He even knows your words before you speak them. Woo! He knows every thought you have. He knows every fantasy that you think about during the week. He knows all that stuff. And then through it all, he still loves us. Yeah? That's amazing. And so, uh, what, and Ananias and Sapphira, they were pretending to be more generous than they really were. To put a, uh, see, what they, were, they were trying to get acceptance. They were trying to control image to control others. What others thought about them. That's what they were trying to do. 
In the spiritual realm, you don't do that. What we have to know is that you are accepted by God. When you know that you're truly accepted by him, you don't have to put on airs about anything else and to try to put on a, a spiritual display of how great you are spiritually. You don't have to do that. You know, and so there's evidence, you know, trying to control. We try to control by imaging or what we're, what we're doing. Uh, you can see when self is trying to control when fear comes in or hopelessness or worry or anxiety. That shows you that self is in control. And so our point is here in Isaiah 28 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone, a precious cornerstone, and it's safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. And so he doesn't want us to shake when everything else is shaken and when everybody else is going on. So I just saw this here. It says, do your feelings, anxieties, and insecurities run away with you and dominate your relationships? Are you chronically late or procrastinating and expecting other people to put up with it? That's all part of self. You know, it's evident of self-living, living for the dot, for the, the moment, rather than for the, the journey, the line. And so, Pastor Mona mentioned that last week, about living on the dot or for the line. And so we need that eternal uh, perspective. We can get so bogged down with everyday living. That's what happens. You remember the parable of the sower? You know, uh, somewhere, seed, the word of God, was thrown in among the thorns and it got choked out by the cares of this world. You know, and uh, there's things that try to choke it out. It says, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. It says, men will be lovers of themselves. Self-love. I don't know if I put, I was going to put a picture. Did I put a picture of a selfie in there? I don't think I, I had some. There were people taking selfies. Matter of fact, there's somebody, I saw a story where a person was taking a selfie on a cliff high up in the air and fell down and killed himself taking a selfie. You know, uh, dangerous things. So we should be focusing on building on a solid foundation. And that solid foundation is Jesus himself. Next slide. I think I got one here. Therefore, this is, no, back. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem. A firm tested stone is a precious cornerstone that it's safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. Jesus is a rock. Jesus is a rock. And, and we see, you know, what we build upon will determine how, whether we'll be shaken or not. You see that in, in Matthew chapter 7. You know, some built on the sand, some built on the rock. The storm came. Those that built on the sand, it crumbled. Build on the rock, Jesus, and you won't shake and crumble when everything goes on. And so we should be getting closer to Jesus as we go along. It's process. See, on the rock, it's knowing Christ, knowing him, getting to know him. You know that he wants to have a relationship with you. That's, that's what he wants more than anything. And so today, there's, there's a lot of religious activity that goes on. I've been watching some of this. I'm looking for these things. You know, uh, seems to be a lot of stuff going on. And basically, they're substituting for all this activity 
instead of having a relationship with Christ, they substitute it with all types of craziness, I call it. And uh, people looking for one new revelation after another. I remember when I first got here 20 years ago, there was people running all over the place, going to this conference there. You remember that, Donnie? People running all over the place for a conference. I said, what are they doing? What's going on here? And they were, they were trying to get some new revelation. Well, basically, the only revelation you need is a revelation of Jesus. That's what you need the most. You don't have to go running here and running there. And, and you see, there's, oh, there's a revival over here, there's a revival over here. And, if you look at it, that's revival. I said, man, that's scary stuff. I was told back in 94, they said it was a revival broke out in Toronto. I go there. I said, my, people roaring like lions, barking like dogs, flipping all over the place. I said, that's revival. I said, man, we're in trouble. And, uh, and so you see all this type of activity going on, and people, they, what they do is they, they, they go after substitutes rather than going after uh, no, Jesus himself. See, Christianity, it's a, religion, it's a religion based on a relationship with a person. So you can be involved in religious activity and not be in a relationship with Jesus. And uh, so that's why it says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow. And so just not facts about him. They... I know, I'm, I'm looking at all these conventions that are going on right now. They're having all these huge meetings with thousands of people. And you see smoke machines, light machines, and they, everything dark, and uh, they, they're creating an atmosphere. What it did remind me of is when I used to tour with a rock and roll band. We created atmospheres with lights. We had our uniforms. We had, we had companies that would, uh, they would supply all our clothes that we wanted just as long as we use them on TV and use them in the shows. And we would go and they create atmosphere with lights and things like this. Now we see the same thing in the church. You know? Uh, and so they've substituted things like this. And what happens is that people are basing their spirituality on substitutes and false experiences and they equate that with a relationship with God. Dangerous. Now, there's a big church in, what is it, New York City? Thousands go there, the youth there. I'll show you the picture. Here's a women's conference. Thousands of women there. And the youth leader comes out with nothing on other than a pair of underwear and cowboy boots with a guitar. Right in the middle of this big conference for women. I said, what is going on here? See, this is, these are all substitutes. Get people all excited, things like that. Remember, there's thousands of women there, and this, the naked cowboy comes out in the middle of this women's conference. He was a, the youth leader there. Uh, I tell you, when everything shakes, they're building on a faulty foundation. They won't stand in what's coming. And so we have to understand the work of Christ. It's a, it's a relation... Uh, it's a relationship that requires knowing things about the person too. If in a relationship, you got to know, you got to know who they are. You know, you got to know what they do, what they like and dislike. That's part of knowing God. There's certain things that God likes. There's certain things He dislikes. And when you get to know Him by reading the Word, then you'll see uh, 
you get an aspect of his, uh, of what he's like. How many have heard of these, what they have today, online relationships? I, have you ever, have you met people on these online relationships? Yeah, and they're, whoa, yeah, I'm, I'm in a relationship now. And they put it on Facebook or whatever, in a relationship. Well, what really, well, I'm with somebody over on the other side of another continent. I'm in a relation. And then, then they meet up and they find out it's not the real deal. It's something else. They Photoshop their pictures and things like this. And rather than getting a 115-pound slim blonde, they get a 240-pound overweight uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> They're not getting the true facts. Surprise! <laughs> Here I am! <laughs> And so, the Bible tells us what God is doing, what he desires, and he wants to have that relationship with you. And you get that by reading his book, and he reveals himself, you know, with the power of the Holy Spirit to read it. See, there's, there's a story, you know, the, the creation, then there's the fall, the redemption, then there's a new creation, and we have history, we call it his story. You ever see this story, here's sort of a, you see these stories like this. You have the story, then you have usually have a hero, then there's a plot, then there's a conclusion. How many have seen these? Uh, and you see this in all things. Like, how many have ever seen Spider-Man? He's the, no. There's a story about Spider-Man. He's sort of the hero. Then you get the plot, and he kills the bad guy, and then it comes to a conclusion. They live happily ever after. Then you got Batman, Superman, and all the other super things, and all those comic book stories, they all have a A lot of them are taken right from the Bible. Good versus evil, that battle. A lot, all the plots are, are uh, right from, they're, they're spiritual in a sense, you know. And that's why people like these, uh, I remember these police stories they used to have, and uh, it'd be the hero, police guy, getting the bad guy, and it'd always be the hero, you know, the James Bond type things. Why do people gravitate towards that? Because it reveals sort of a Christ-like type, in a sense, who vanquishes evil, and they get attracted to that. You know, and so, but Jesus, he's the rock on which we build our relationship. And, uh, and of course, in Genesis 1.26, then God said, says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move on the ground. And of course, that was God's plan. And of course, then the enemy comes in, they, they got deceived. And what happened then? Evil came on the earth. One bad choice. Sometimes you just make one bad choice and it goes astray. How many have made choices in the past they would like to go back in time and just whoop, rearrange it. Go back in a time machine and just change the whole story. Well, we can't really do that. You only have one shot at life. You only have, you only have one shot at it. That's it. You know, you can't go back and change. No, we all live with consequences of bad decisions that we made. Uh, but God can take you where you are now and give you another path. He can give you a new beginning. That's good news. You can start afresh. You'll still have all those memories and things that are lodged in your mind. Uh, those things will always be there. 
but you don't have to be governed by your past anymore. When you receive Jesus, he can give you a new path, a new way of looking at things, a new way of walking. And that's the good news. And, then, and of course, in, in Genesis 3.15, we, see the, we read about the fall, and then, of course, here we see the promise in Genesis 3.15. It says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. Crush your head. That means what Jesus will do to the enemy. Say, be crushed eventually. And then, but he'll try to strike back at Jesus on the cross, but he was resurrected. So that's why you see that crushing and striking his heel, a big difference. When you crush the head, it's game over for that one. But it says he's just, he's only here for a season, the enemy. It says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 1 John 5, 19. That's why we're seeing such evil in the world today. Because the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. It says the whole earth groans, it says in Romans 8. And But there's a promise of a savior. It's his story, history, his story. And then see, in Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why Jesus came. And that, that word lost, it means to perish. It means to destroy, die, lose, mar. Those are some of the words it means. You know, the worst type of people that are lost are the ones in, that are in the church and don't know Jesus. That's the worst type of lostness. Because, let's say, well, I go to church, you ask them. They say, well, I go to church, and uh, yeah, I do this, I do that. Yet, there's no relationship with God. They have facts and things, they do things, and they think they're, everything's fine, but it isn't. That's the worst type of lostness there can be. See, God wants to use you in his work. He wants to use you, each one of you, in his work. Uh, maybe just to speak to somebody. Maybe to give somebody a Bible. Sometimes it doesn't have to be one. I remember it was like Grant Bailey, a businessman in Pembroke. Uh, I've met him and uh, had a chance to have dinner with him and his family. Talk about a low-key person. I mean, it, it was so low-key, he is just, what is there? Any life in this guy at all, you know? But what he did for a year and a half, he would drive from Pembroke to the Kingston Jail, and he would meet a man called Ernie Hollins. And he gave Ernie Hollins a Bible. And Ernie Hollins got gloriously saved. Here he is here. He, was, he used to rob banks here in, in New Brunswick. He was given a... He was in uh, Dorchester and all these prisons and things like this. There, there's his wife that, that he met in our church in Brockville. I attended his wedding. And uh, he spread the gospel all around the world. In, uh, and it was brought to him, the gospel, by a man who could, was, had, I mean, zero, not much personality, but very, very quiet. But he gave him a Bible. And he went and visited him for a year and a half. And he influenced. Thousands came to the Lord under his ministry. Amazing. And uh, so that's what God wants you to do. 
You don't have to be out there blasting in the street, you know, and uh, I've seen types like that where they're, they're what I call it, overzealousness. They're, you've got to receive it, uh, you know, you've got to, that type of thing doesn't work. I remember there was a guy who was in, I think he was in the Hells Angels out west. I forget his name now. I met him. He, he was a, he, he did receive the Lord, but his zeal was not very uh, refined. So he went after other gang members, and he, one of the gang members, he says, uh, okay, receive the Lord. You know, said, if you don't receive the Lord, you're going to put his head in a toilet bowl and say, receive the Lord. That, that's not the way it's done. <laughs> but that, uh, he had to go through the experiences there to, God had to refine him a little bit. He was overzealous. See, but God wants to use you where you are in whatever circumstance you're in. And uh, it was Gandhi who said this. I think I have his quote here. Gandhi. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. So uh, we have to sort of be sometimes more than doing. And I think I read the story that was Reverend Patterson. Uh, he was telling the story of Gandhi. He, he read the word. And he, he went to visit a church in Calcutta. And, uh, and he was stopped by the usher. And he was told, you're not welcome. You're not permitted to attend here. Because this is for high caste Indians. And whites only. High caste Indian and whites only. And he wasn't high caste and he wasn't white. And so that rejection, Mahatma Gandhi rejected Christianity. But he liked the gospel message of Christ. He liked Christ and his message. And so we have to, you know, the way we are, we have to make sure that we're open you know, to everybody. God, the gospel's for everybody, no matter who it is, you know. It's for everybody, black, white, uh, whatever, and uh, whatever nationality. That's why I like going to Times Square Church and the Brooklyn Tabernacle, just Times Square Church. They have a, 103 nationalities. You look at the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, you see a whole, every race and color there all together, Chinese singing with the, the Africans and uh, Mexicans, uh, just amazing. And that, and that's that's the real gospel. That's what it does. It changes everybody to bring unity. Now, we're supposed to become like Christ. Next slide. We're supposed to become like him. In Romans uh, 8, 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And then that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And that word conformed, uh, somorphous, Technonus, it's an inward and not merely a superficial conformity. See, Jesus changes you from the inside out. Religion tries to get you to conform to their systems and actions and doings. You can do all the religious things and never be changed on the inside. You know that. So that that that's what that word means there. Conform, it means to be like Jesus starting on the inside. Jesus changes you on the inside. See, a lot of people, they, they can go to church but never be changed 
on the inside. And so uh, he wants you to be like Jesus. Oh, my goodness. When I look at his life, uh, what Jesus said, how can it be like that? Well, it's impossible. That's impossible. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit to help you. You have the Holy Spirit. Once you receive Christ, you receive the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And if you allow him, if you yield yourself to him, then he'll work his life through you. Has anybody been reached perfection? No, not even the Apostle Paul. He says, not that I have achieved, but I press on. I move on. No, he's not just looking the dot there. He's going on the whole line. He's moving process, process. You know, so he wants you to think like him, speak like him, and act like him. That's what, that's what God wants. He wants you to be like Jesus. How many know that's process? You know, when you come to the Lord, there's things that have to be done. Romans 12 says you need your mind renewed. You have to renew the mind. Not remove the mind, but renew it. Now, it's not like you don't want to, uh, you don't need a lobotomy or something to whip out parts of the brain. No, you renew it. Now, with God's word, he changes you on the inside. And to act like him, it says in Romans 5.5, 5, it says this. It says that, now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given us. So I said, well, I can't love. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really not good in loving. Well, the Holy Spirit can love through you. It's like Corrie ten Boom. Remember her story? When she, ran across, when she was in the prison camp in, in Ravensbrook, and then afterwards she was released, and she met the guard, the, the, one of the most brutal guards there, and he had become a believer, and he met her, and she literally froze. And she had to rely on the Holy Spirit. And when she extended her hand to extend forgiveness, she asked for God's help. And she's never felt such intense love in our life when she was able to forgive the guard that contributed to the death of her sister, you know, in Ravensbrook. And so you have the Holy Spirit. You're not with, you have the body of believers here to help you. You have the Word of God to, to help you, to, to grow. And so... That's what it says. You know, the Christian life is impossible, but it's him possible. That's the difference. Here's what Thomas Watson said. I think I wrote it on there. The, uh, uh, on, yeah, Thomas Watson, the Puritan, he says, knowledge of biblical doctrine is to the soul as an anchor to a ship. A lot of people don't, like to, don't want to study doctrine or teaching and stuff like that, but he's saying it's an anchor to the soul. It holds it steady in the midst of the rolling waves of error or the violent winds of persecution. See, how do these people go through all these, these persecutions? Stuff? Well, they're, they're anchored in Christ. They're anchored in his word. They're anchored in his teachings. I saw so, some of these Chinese, what they do uh, when they go to the, the underground Bible schools, they'll literally be underground in a cave. And they're up, let's say, 5 o'clock in the morning, studying the Word, underground, literally. And they'll be going right through to 10 o'clock at night, studying the Word. So, oh my goodness, I look at my own life, just trying to do a, a, a Bible reading program, you know, that we have. And, and they're doing that, but they come out with a fire. 
And so, and they're under fire right now in China. Uh, most of the, the, the church is being really persecuted. And they have all these surveillance cameras with, uh, they take, they, they can pick you out of a crowd of 20,000 people using these surveillance cameras now. And so they're really under watch. I'm just wondering, you know, when they're trying to crush the church, I'm just wondering if there's a connection between all the stuff that's happening with these viruses breaking out there. I don't know if there's a correlation or not, but God is not happy when the people get crushed like that, his people. Uh, so in a culture, you know, it seems to down... Like a lot of these movements I'm seeing now on, uh, on TV with thousands of youth going to it, the word of God is sort of being cast aside. Sound teaching is cast aside. They're open to anything now. That's why Watson says, in the midst of the rolling waves of air, and there's, I'm going to tell you, there's rolling waves out there now. And the, and the way that people are being sucked in now, the young people, is by the music. That's how they're drawing them in, by the music. And so we try to keep, use songs that are, you know, they're biblically based. But a lot of the ones I've seen, I saw one singer in this one church, this girl sang, uh, what is it? From the top of my head to the tip of my toes, I love it. And that went on for 25 minutes. And, man, it's almost mesmerizing. You all put into a, into a, some type of hypnotic state. You know, that's what happened. I, I, I saw that when I played with a rock band. Uh, we're, here we are. We're, we're one of the most popular bands at Montreal for a couple of years. Then you go to this crowd, thousands. Then see this girl, trying to rip the clothes off you and stuff like this. It's a different state. And, and, and I go into the church to find them doing similar stuff. I say, what's going on here? So we have to be aware. We have to be in the Word of God. Here's what Chuck Swindoll said. He says, leaders and lay people have turned away from theology as an essential component of their personal faith in Christ. What's the result? Their faith is often built on shaky ground of personal convictions. And when something new comes along that sounds better, rootless believers can easily be led astray. See, he wants you to be rooted in Christ. And that comes with sound teaching. And go to the next slide here. We see this, Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching or doctrine and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. That's why we need the Word of God. We gotta, uh, you learn about God, using the Bible, you learn about God, you learn about how to live, you know, knowledge and the sense of that knowledge, and you develop trust in Him. And so, there's a relationship guide here too. Next slide. Philippians 2, 3. This would transform all the churches in the world. It would transform society if you just put this one verse into practice. Doing nothing through envy or through pride, but with low thoughts of self, let everyone take others to be better than themselves. How much of the society is, well, I'm better than you, she's better than her, and all that stuff. And uh, pride See, you can't know God and be arrogant. Yeah. See, 
Your worship goes deeper in your direct proportion of knowledge of him. You know, Billy Graham said 95% of the problems that believers have is because they're not reading the word. And of course, uh, I've also mentioned you can read the word and have no change. Here's a verse here, next one. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And that word deceiving, uh, the Greek means to reckon or count, compute, calculate, count over, or reconcile, or to cheat, or deceive. That means you deceive yourself by not doing what the word says. You're actually cheating yourself out of the riches of Christ. And so we want to have that relationship with him. He wants to use you where you are. It doesn't have to be huge, big things. It could be just giving a Bible to one person, like Ernie Hollins, and he ended up influencing, leading thousands to the Lord around the world. And the final point I want to mention is just live for Jesus. Live for Christ. And there's uh, C.T. Studd. He was born in a wealthy family. He was uh, going to Cambridge. He's one of the top cricket players in England. How many have heard of the name of cricket? You know what that's? Uh, it's uh, something like baseball in a sense. He is one of the top players in England. And a very wealthy family. And then uh, he, he came to the Lord. And at the age of 25, he inherited a large sum of money. It would be equivalent to probably uh, millions of dollars. And God got hold him. He gave it all away for the missions. He went to Africa. He went to India. He worked with Hudson Taylor. And uh, I met uh, his, uh, one of his son-in-laws, Norman Grubb, in Kingston, Ontario, at Queen's University. He married uh, his daughter. And he influenced, next slide. Here's what he wrote. It says, only one life, a few, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. See, he came to that choice. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He died to self, literally and uh, influence thousands and thousands of lives. And uh, here's, he, wrote, he said this, he said, I realized that my life was to be one of simple childlike faith, that my part was to trust, not to do. I was to trust in him, and he would work in me to do his good pleasure, and from that time, my life was different. He died to self and allowed Christ to take control. And here's what he said. Uh, he said, I do not say don't play games or cricket and so forth. He says, no, no. He says, by all means, play and enjoy them, giving thanks to Jesus for them. Only take care that the games do not become an idol to you as they did to me. What good will it do to anybody in the next world to have been the best player that has ever been? And then think of the difference between that and winning souls for Jesus. He was happiest when he was living, winning souls to Christ. So he was living for Jesus. He left everything and just went totally sold out for God. Last slide says this. Only when life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Can we all stand, please? <clears throat>
We're just going to pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, <clears throat> I just ask that you give us a proper perspective uh, of our life, our life with you. We're only here for a short time. But I just ask that for each one of us, uh, Lord, that we'll have one eye on eternity and that we'll do your will. That we won't allow things to creep in and, and come into our lives that will take us away from you. So, Father, I just ask for each one of us here that in the days and weeks and months to come that we'll have a deeper relationship with you and that you will use us as channels of blessing to others that don't know you. So especially in this area, you know, with, with the highest poverty rate in children, highest in the province, probably one of the highest in, in Canada, that you, you use us as channels of blessing to these people. Lord, you have us here for a purpose. It's to do your will. And Father, I just ask that, Lord, that in the days to come, that we will rely on your spirit, that you will move in us and through us for the furtherance of your kingdom, that your name will be honored and glorified. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. And just